Welcome to the Halakha Hour here on JRoot Radio. We are beginning, Bazat Hashem, a three-class series on the laws of Ben Hametzarim, which include all the laws that we need to know from the days of Yud Zayin Tammuz until and past even Tisha B'Av. These laws obviously are not going to be such happy laws. There are going to be a lot of things that, you know, we may... We don't like to hear, we don't like to practice necessarily, but it's part of the Shohan Aruch, and it's an unfortunate part of reality. And as we'll see, this is actually a time to be able to grab, to be able to get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And as one person put it, when you go to a wedding and you see many people there, right? It's not a proof. You can't tell really who's close to the Hatan, who's close to the family of the groom. But when you go to a house of mourning, and you see the people that are there for an extended amount of time, then you know who's really close. You ever notice you go to a house of mourning, people come, they visit, they feel very uncomfortable, naturally, and then they try to squeeze out. The people who stay there for the longest are the people who are closest. So yes, it's very easy to celebrate on Purim. It's very easy to celebrate during the holidays, the Galim. Yet these three weeks, we feel very uncomfortable. We want him to be in and out. But we should know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu mourns all year, as we'll see Be'ezat Hashem. And this is a time when we should try to be close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as we are, we're family, we're the children of Hashem, to feel the pain of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So, let's begin. Before we begin, we just want to give you a little bit of the address. If a person... Anybody who has questions, you can always text 347-927-8398. You could listen and watch on jrootradio.com. We're actually videoing this. As we will send it out in clips. And we're only taking phone calls after the class. Nothing in the class, only after the class. And Barazat Hashem also, we will take emails at halakhahour at gmail.com. Halakha'awar at gmail.com. You can send an email anytime. It's about this class or different class. We'll be able to answer whatever we can answer. So let's begin a little bit with a historical background to what marks these days. From Yud Zayin Tammuz, from the 17th of the month of Tammuz in the Jewish calendar, until Tisha B'Av, these are the three weeks that are known as the Ben HaMetzarim. Metzarim from the word Tsar. That's the root word of the word Metzarim. It's just a plural Metzarim. The word tsar is literally translated as something tight or difficult, tsara, and we are cramped in these three weeks historically with sufferings that have befallen the Jewish people. The Mishnah in Masechet Ta'anit, Perek Dalet Mishnah Vav, chapter 4, Mishnah 6. There the Mishnah says, There are five things. There are five things that happened to the Jewish people, to our forefathers, on the 17th of Tammuz. I want you to please note, I know a lot of people listening may be familiar with this Mishnah, or at least with the five historical things that happened on the 17th of Tammuz. But try to pay attention to the order, the way the Mishnah writes it. Mishnah writes, the first thing that happened was, The tablets were broken. Which tablets are we talking about? When Moshe Rabbeinu came down and he saw the Jewish people worshipping Na'egel, as it says in Pasha Kitesa, Moshe Rabbeinu took the tablets, took the Luhot, which God himself made, and God himself wrote on these tablets, and he broke them to the eyes of the Jewish people. That happened on the 17th of Tammuz. The second thing that happened on the 17th of Tammuz, says in Mishnah, Butal HaTamid. The daily sacrifice, which is known as the Korban Tamid, which was brought every single morning, every single afternoon. That which we commemorate today with the prayers of Shahrit and Minha, that ceased, it stopped. And when was that date? It was on the 70th of Tammuz. The Rambam says that this happened by the first Beit HaMikdash. Beit HaMikdash had shown the 70th of Tammuz is when it was that the bit that they just ran out of sheep because they were in the siege by Nebuchadnezzar and didn't have any more animals. Third thing that happened on the 17th of Tammuz says the Mishnah. From the word baka, to break. The city was broken into. The walls of the city of Yerushalayim were penetrated and 
after a siege, B'nai Israel, the, the Goyim entered. Now this siege is not talking about the first Beit HaMikdash. The first Beit HaMikdash, the siege, concluded on the 9th of Tammuz. That's when the Goyim were able to enter the city. But the 17th of Tammuz is when the second Beit HaMikdash's siege concluded with the Goyim penetrating the walls, breaking through the walls. And of course that began a series of murders and killings throughout the whole city until the climax of the destruction of Beit HaMikdash. Why the second Beit HaMikdash? Why don't we commemorate the 9th of Tammuz instead of the 17th? So Mifashim explained because the tragedies that have befallen the Jewish people during the second destru- the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash were far worse than the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. The fourth thing that happened on Yud Zayin Beit HaMuz, says the Mishnah, is Saraf Apostemos et Torah. There was a general, his name is Apostemos, not much is told about him. In the Talmud, the Gemara Yerushalmi talks about him. It says that he grabbed the Sefer Torah and he burned it to the eyes of the Jewish people. And it was a day of mourning. And finally, the fifth thing was that the Mishnah says, He'amid selim bahechal. Many Mefrashim referred to over here the, that when Apostemos himself took an idol and he erected it, he placed it in the Hechal, in the building inside the Beit HaMidash where the Mizbeyah was, where the Aron, where the uh, Menorah and the Shulchan were, he placed over there a statue of Abu Zara. Some say that this really refers to the first Beit HaMidash where Menasheh himself also placed an idol inside of the Hechal. In any case, these are the five things that happen on the 17th of Tammuz, which is why we fast on the 17th of Tammuz, and that begins the three weeks of the Ben HaMetzarim. Mishnah continues and says that there are five things that happened on Tisha B'Av. What are the five things that took place on Tisha B'Av? Says the Gemara, says the Mishnah. First thing that happened on Tisha B'Av, says the Mishnah, is that the decree against the Jewish people that they were not allowed to enter into Eretz Israel, as we see in Parashat Shelah, after the spies came back, Hashem says, Oh, you cried for no reason. You'll see, you'll cry forever for no reason. And then Hashem gave the famous decree, the infamous decree, is that the Jewish people have to wander in the desert for 40 years until that whole generation is wiped out. That decree took place on the night of the Shabbat. Second thing, says the Mishnah, that took place on the Shabbat was the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. The third thing that happened on Tisha B'Av was the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash. As the Gemara says that We don't have a historical uh, account, but we assume that it happened right then also on Tisha B'Av. And the fourth thing that happened on Tisha B'Av was the capturing of the city of Beitar, which was a city where all the scholars were. All the greatest Tamil HaKamim lived there that city was captured and was destroyed on Tisha B'Av. This happened during the second Beit HaMikdash, during the time of the second Beit HaMikdash. The fifth thing that happened was that the city of Yerushalayim was plowed. What do you mean it was plowed? The area of Harabayit was completely grazed to the floor. Nothing, no memory of what stood there. I mean, sometimes you see destruction. You see a building that fell. You see the stones. You see other things. Here, he completely took out all the things so that a person would walk by, would see no memory of the second Beit HaMikdash. These are the five things that happened on Tisha B'Av, the final day of the three weeks of Ben HaMetzarim. And there's a lot to speak about Ben HaMetzarim themselves, about the importance of the Ben HaMetzarim, but I want to give a little bit of time to just speak about this Mishnah. If you notice, the theme, there's a theme that runs between the five things, the five tragedies that happened on Yudzayim Betamuz and the five things that happened to Shabbat. There's two different themes. By the Yudzayim Betamuz, the five things, just very quickly, which the tablets were broken, the Luhot were broken, the Tamid stopped, the walls of the city during the second Beit Midash were finally broken and the Goim entered to kill the Jewish people, the burning of the Torah and that he, the idol was placed in the Hechal. The theme, the common denominator was that all these things began a series of tragedies. When the Lahore were broken, it began already 
that the Jewish people were on a very high level. As the Gemara says, they were not supposed to die. Malachim Mavid was about to quit his job. He was about to retire and put up his jersey. But after the Luhot al-Boku, which means the Jewish people fell from their level. We never got the same Luhot even again. Hashem told Moshe, you now make new Luhot. Also, the Quban Tamid stopped. There was no more service at Beit HaMikdash. Already began then afterwards the tragedies and the calamities that came from, no more, from having no more of a Korban. It began a three weeks of slaughtering in the times of the second Beit HaMikdash. Apostolos burned the Torah. It showed also that the Jewish people were stepped upon. The Torah, which represented the law of God, the book of God, was burned in public to the eyes of everybody. Is a day that showed that the Goyim already completely, not just they killed us for, you know, because we were enemies. No, now they completely trampled on us as we're worth nothing. And finally, the fifth thing was that he placed an idol in the Hechal that also represents the beginning of a new era. An era where Goyim could do whatever they like, even in the holiest of holies of the Jewish people. The theme that runs in the five things that happened on Tisha B'Av was that's in the end of an era. That's it. Things came to an end. The first thing that happened on Tisha B'Av was the generation that came out of Mitzrayim, there was a Gizera. That's it. You're not coming to Israel. It's over for you guys. And then we know, 40 years, that whole generation was wiped out. Almost the whole generation. Second thing is the destruction of Beit HaMikdash. The first one. And third thing is that the second Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. As long as we had a Beit HaMikdash, it was a symbol of the, that the Jewish people were, had something you know, that stood for them. No, Once it was destroyed, that brought about an era of exile and galut. The city of Beit HaMikdash was captured also. Even though that happened after the destruction of Beit HaMikdash, but still, that was a city of Torah. As long as the Jewish people had a Makom Torah, a place of Torah where all eyes looked to them for leadership, okay, it gave us some hope. When that was destroyed, that took it away. And finally, when Yerushalayim was plowed, everything was plowed, it showed that that's it, it's over. Even the memories of Yerushalayim are gone. Those are the themes that run in the five things that happened on Yudzayim Betamuz and Tisha B'Av. Yudzayim Betamuz is the beginning of the end, and Tisha B'Av is the end. And it matches also our state of mourning. Yudzayim Betamuz, we begin the three weeks of mourning, and Tisha B'Av is when we conclude it. Now, if you look at something a little bit, uh, you look at these five things that happened on the and the five things that happened on Tisha B'Av, you find something very interesting. First of all, if you notice in the five things that happened on Yudzayim Tammuz, they're not listed in order. As opposed to the five things that happened on Tisha B'Av, everything happened in chronological order, in historical order. First, uh, the Jewish people in the desert, then the first Benedict, second Benedict, then the Betar, and then finally the place was plowed. But in Yudzayim Tammuz, if things are listed out of order, because it says that Apostomus placed at Salem an idol in the Hechal, that's the fifth thing. And yet, you're telling me before that, that the walls of the city of Yerushalayim were broken through on Yudzayim Tammuz. That's already when they started entering the whole, the whole city and, 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 and killing out. This happened afterwards. Also, especially if you, go, if you go with the opinion that says it was Menashe that placed the idol in the Yechal, and that's what we're mourning. But if you look at it, you find something very interesting. That really the five things that happened on Yudzayim Tammuz correspond to the five things that happened on Tisha B'Av. Number one corresponds to one. Each event corresponds to the other one. Mean to say, the first thing that was listed in each Mishnah was the Luhot were broken, the tablets were broken in times of Moshe Rabbeinu, and the spies came back and the decree was given to that generation. The common denominator is that both these things happened to Dor HaMidbar. And the second thing on the list, there was no more Korban Tamid, daily sacrifices were stopped, and that corresponds to the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash because they both took place during the time of the first Beit HaMikdash. The third thing on the list was on Yudzayim Beit HaMuz, the walls of the city were broken through. And that is in the times of the second Beit HaMikdash, which corresponds to the third thing in Tisha B'Av when the second Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. Next, Apostomos burned the Torah. That's number four, corresponding to when Beitar was captured. Beitar was the city 
of Torah. Both, both these tragedies are tragedies against the Torah. One was the actual scroll, the other one was the city of Torah. And finally, the last thing was, a person was placed an idol in the Hechal. Now, of course, it's terrible, but what's so bad that we have to mourn for it? Because that took away the attention. The attention of the Beit HaMikdash is a house which is designated just for Hashem. You put an idol there, you take away the attention from God. Not that Hashem needs our attention, but the people need to focus only on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You place an Abu Zarah in the Hechal, you took away the attention from Hashem. People now are not focusing on the spirituality. That corresponds to the fifth thing on the list of the tragedies that happened on Tisha B'Av, which is the plowing of Jerusalem. Even when the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, as long as there was some sort of memory of it, we could look back at the spot and say, ah, these are the stones, these are the holy stones of the Beit HaMikdash. But when you take that away, you completely took away the attention from Yerushalayim. You now you see nothing. There's not even a memory. You can't even focus on the house that represented the spirituality. Just like the Tselim took away the attention from the Hechal, the Makom, the place of spirituality, so too, the plowed field, we have no more memory, we have no more recollection of, a, of the place that represented this, the, the greatest place of, of spirituality in the world. Now, the greatest tragedy of Botai is this last thing that was listed, is that we lost the memory. The greatest tragedy the Mishnah lists as the last thing is we know always, you know, the worst thing is usually, or the, the biggest thing, the most hamur thing is usually listed at the end. And here the Mishnah lists at the end is that Yerushalayim was plowed. We lost, unfortunately, the mourning of Yerushalayim. We, all, we hear many stories, and I know there are many stories, I usually don't say stories, I'm not going to say so much stories, maybe one or two here or there. But we know there are many stories of tzaddikim who used to mourn for Yerushalayim. You know, the, we can't even imagine such people existed. We can't even imagine uh, that people exist like the Hatam Sofer where every Tishabiyab, Arif Tishabiyab, he would sit and cry and every once in a while, every once in a while his Talmud said he saw with his own eyes. Had the Hatam Sofer would take a cup, put it close to his face, collect the tears and that cup he would drink when he eats Sawadat HaMafsikah. The Baba Sali, somebody once walked in on him. And Baba Sali was not so long ago. He passed away only in 1982. The Baba Sali, somebody walked in on him and he, by accident, he knocked the bucket and the bucket fell and it spilled a lot of water. And that person said, well, what's this bucket? He said, that's my tears from Tikkun Hatzot. When I sit at night and I cry the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. Now, that, those are stories of Gedolim. Some of, them, some of us saw with our own eyes. And we can't even relate to them because we're completely lost. We have the tselem in the hechal, unfortunately. We have the idol in the holiest place. Our attention is completely diverted to the Abu Zarah of our days. Rav Shlomo Zaran Borbach, I saw it in two different sefarim, in Halichot Shlomo and Zechrein Metzion. Both of them brought Rav Shlomo Zaran Orbach, quoting and bemoaning the fact that there's such a lack of mourning for the Beit HaMikdash. This is not something you, you, you could force people to do. Either you feel it or you don't feel it. He says, you know, there's a kinah that the Ashkenazim say on Tisha B'Av. The words are as follows. I read the words in Hebrew and then translate the simple meaning. I'll tell you how Rav Shlomo Zaman explains it. Al-Hurban Bet HaMikdash ki huras v'chihudash espod on the destruction of Bet HaMikdash for who was destroyed, who was trampled. This is why I eulogize b'chot shana espet hadash. Every single year, I, I eulogize about it, a new eulogy. This is a simple meaning. Rabbi Shalom Zaman Obak says, unfortunately, people explain it in the following way, which is very true, and that is, Al-Hurban Beit HaMikdash ki huras v'chudash. The destruction of the Beit HaMikdash itself, the mourning over the destruction of Beit HaMikdash, has been trampled, has been destroyed. People don't know, people lack the mourning of Beit HaMikdash. They don't know how to, they don't care to mourn about the Beit HaMikdash. Now you might say, this is okay, this is not something for us. This is something that's, uh, you know, for the Hatam Sofer. This is something for the uh, Baba Sali. This is something maybe, okay, you gotta be mekubal, cover your head, have a long beard, and you know, watch it. 
That's that's who cries over Beit Hamikdash. We we just want to know when can we swim again? When can we listen to music again? Just tell me the halachot and walk away. No, this is actually a hayub. The Gemara Masech. I want to bring you a few sources. I'm going to take a look, quote some things from different seferim, show you the obligation. And this is not just merely something for those who are up there, those who are tzaddikim. I'm not telling you I am. I'm telling you that there is an obligation, and just like any obligation that we have, whether it's in halakha or whether it's in the seferim. We have to figure out a way that we should bring ourselves to such an obligation. Likewise over here. We all know that we're supposed to have the Kavanan Amida. No. How many people have Kavanan Amida? Very little. We know. If you're Zohet, to be Mechavim, part of the Amida. That's not going to take away the obligation. So just because our mind is wandering all over the place, that's it. We throw in the white flag. We put up the white flag. We give up. Throw in the towel. No. We have to try to make an effort to figure out how to to get to the level of be, being able to be mechaven, to have concentration in our amidah. Same thing over here. There is an obligation. Let me quote you a few things. First of all, the Gemara Masechet Gittin. I don't want to go through the whole entire Gemara. But there the Gemara says, three rabbis were sitting down, and they were discussing stories of a, of a town or a city that was called Kfar Sechaniah Shel Mitzrayim. And each rabbi brought a story about how righteous the people were. And amazing, amazing stories, really amazing stories. We have a series on the stories of that, you know, of the, the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash. You can look it up on J. Root, but you'll listen to the full stories over there. The Gemara concludes over there, there's such Sadiqim, how come that city was destroyed? Yeah, yeah, they did such righteous things, and these were the simple folks. So how come the city was destroyed? Mas is an amazing thing. You know why? Because they did not mourn Yerushalayim. Pasuk says, Rejoice with Jerusalem, whoever mourns upon it. That means, if you mourn for your Jerusalem, if you mourn for Yerushalayim, you zochet to see when the time comes when Yerushalayim is rebuilt and you can rejoice with it. You have to mourn for Yerushalayim. There's a hayub. Another Pasuk says, The prophet was bemoaning and crying and he's saying, Sion he, Jerusalem is also known as Sion. Doresh and nobody's looking out for it. Says Imam from here you see that you need to look out, you need to seek out Yerushalayim. It's a hayub. Okay, so it's a Gemara. No, Maran also says it. In Siman Aleph Al Khadalit, Maran says, Ra'ui lechol It's befitting for every God fearing Jew, Liyot Mitzer, Vido Egal Hurban Betamikdash. They should feel pain and it gives them worry too about, about the destruction of Beit HaMikdash. Midrash tells us that God sits every single night and the cries on the Beit HaMikdash, the Kun Hatzot, is for that reason. In fact, the Halakha tells us, this is Halakha, in the days of Selihud, we all wake up in the middle of the night, Tashkenazim that is, and uh, we the Sparadim wake up, sometimes in Hatzot in Israel, whatever it may be, if you're limited on time, and you can only say either Selihot or Tikkun Hatzot. Guess what? Dalakha says you say Tikkun Hatzot over Selihot. You know, when Selihot comes, by the way, coming very soon. When Selihot comes, everybody's so careful. Selihot, Slichus, Slichus. So important. Guess what? Tikkun Hatzot, mourning Yerushalayim, is more important than Selihot. Selihot is a nice minhag. It's very good. I'm not trying to, you know, cool off anybody from it. But Tikkun Hatzot, the cry of Yerushalayim, is even more. I want to read you from the Misalat Yisharim. Misalat Yisharim in Perek Yutet. Writes like this. Kol hacham misayi sheyesh bo debrei Torah la'amito. Umitanea hakebrosh hakadosh baruchu. Quoting the Midrash in Tanah Debele Yahu. Says every hacham, every wise man. You could say a hacham perhaps referring to a rabbi. Pashub Shad is any wise man from the, from the Jewish people. That has the Debrei Torah. And bothers him the honor of Hashem. And he desires and it bothers him, the honor of Jerusalem. The fact that we see in the Makom Mikdash, we can't even enter there. The Goyim took over. And by the way, all these opinions say you can walk there, it's Asur de Oraita, because we're all Tamimit. You're not allowed to walk in the area of Harabait. Not being political or anything, I'm being halachic right now. You're not allowed to walk in the area of the Harabait. It's Asur Karet, as the Torah says. In Parashat Hukat, as the Gemara's Posek, the Kiddushah is still there, and therefore we cannot enter there. In any case, 
Whoever, whoever is bothered by the, the, the fact that Yushalayim is not the center of the Jewish people, and the honor of the Beit HaMikdash, it doesn't even exist. You have other religions there. And he's bothered that he wants the salvation to come soon. And he wants the Jewish people to gather all together in Eres Israel. He merits that he has Ruach HaKodesh in whatever he says. You want to serve God properly? You know what serving God properly is when you care about HaKadosh Baruch Hu's honor. You care about Hashem's honor, not your honor. We all serve Hashem. We want to get a big share in Olam Ban. That's great. Fantastic. It's a great inspiration to do the right thing. What's greater than that is when you care more about God's honor. You know what's God's honor? Redemption of the Jewish people. Kibbutz Galiot, building of the Beit HaMikdash, the building of Israel, Eretz Israel, and Yerushalayim. And he says like this, just I'm going to read you one more line. He says, Besides the things that he's doing, a person who's trying to climb up the ladder and to get closer to Hashem, besides of course that he does all the mizvot properly, he never dies. The words of Mislati Sarim says, certainly he has an obligation to feel pained constantly regarding the exile and the destruction. You know why? Because the fact that we're still in exile, the fact that the Jewish people are not in exile with Mashiach yet, that belittles the honor of Hashem. As we see, unfortunately, tragedies are unfortunately, sorry to say, but very common amongst the Jewish people. Not just what you see on the news. What you see, what you hear in local news. You know what local news means? When you get a text from a group, or when you hear news, you get to the shul, or the ladies get together, and you hear, oh, you heard what happened? You heard this kid about this kid? You heard about this person? You heard about the, who got sick? Who'd, unfortunately, about this tragedy? You heard about this bus? You heard about that? How many of the times we hear this news? It's so common, it's scary. It is so, so common. No. Aren't we the nation of Hashem? Aren't we the children of Hashem? Aren't we supposed to be protected by Hashem? If we are the children of Hashem, why is this happening to us? And the answer is, Hashem is far from us. And we don't have kibbutz galiyot. It brings, you, you think Hashem wants us, Hashem Shalom? Bechot tzalatam lo tzal, Hashem is pained with us. Hashem feels the pain of every single Jew. Hashem doesn't want even the great, biggest rasha, the Gemara says. Hashem says, ouch, it hurts me. It hurts. Hashem is our father. So why is this happening? You don't think it lowers the kavod of Hashem? You don't think it lowers the kavod of our religion? It lowers the kavod of the religious people? How can these things happen by religious people? He's a good person. He's a rabbi. How could this happen? You don't know. How, do we know how much that, that, that destroys us? Anybody who deals with non-religious people, you see how the kavod of our religion goes down. Every time a tragedy happens to religious people, people say, hey, what happened? I thought you guys, you know, have a special protection. Everywhere. We all have to. We all have to feel that pain. And that's what he's saying over here. Says this, Mislat Yesharim, it avele geula. You have to desire, you have to want very, very bad the redemption. You know why? With the redemption, the honor of Hashem will be uplifted. And you always have to pray for the, for the redemption of the Jewish people and bringing back the honor of Hashem. And our greatest day of the year when we pray and our prayers are so important on Rosh Hashanah, what are we praying for? We're praying that Hashem's kingdom should come back. What does that mean? It means that people should come to respect the whole world to realize that there's a God in the world. If you live according to his Torah, everything will run smoothly. As long as we're in Galut, unfortunately, we don't see that. We don't see that. Says Mr. Hashim, don't think, by the way, that who are you to pray? You could pray for it. Everybody is important and you could ask for it. Uh, before I finish, I want to tell you one story. Story. Everybody likes stories. Yeah? Story is brought down in Torah Ta'ula or Durama. I did not see it in the Torah Ta'ula itself. I've seen it many times called in many different Sefarim. The following story the Ramah brings down, the Ramah brings down, the very, when I first heard that, I'll tell you, you know, 
hard to believe, but uh, you know, they all bring it down. But it says that after the Hubban Bayt Rishon, after the first Beit Midas was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, we know the Navi that was around at the time was Yirmiyahu Navi. Yirmiyahu Navi was standing and lying down on the rocks and the stones of the Beit Midas, crying, 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 crying. If you heard the story about the, the Baba Sali crying, you can imagine how much the Yirmiyahu Navi was crying about the Beit Midas. So, the, the greatest philosopher that worked for the king, for Nebuchadnezzar, was a man named Apaltheon. Apaltheon, who was a philosopher, walks into Jerusalem. He walk, goes to the area of the Beit HaMikdash and he sees this old man, long white beard, crying on the stones. He goes over to him and says, Aren't you the prophet Yirmiyahu? He says, Yeah. He says, I heard you're the greatest prophet. You're such a wise man, but can you explain to me something? Why are you crying over stones? Why are you crying over wooden stones? It's a, it, it, what is this? What are you crying about? It's a piece of wood. It's a stone. You're much smarter than that. And two, why are you crying about something that already happened? Move on with your life. Don't cry about the past. Cry, you know, move on. Move. Okay, it happened. That's it. You know, the, the saying in English, don't cry over spilled milk. A smart guy doesn't cry over something happy past. You're like, you move on. So Yimiyahu told him, you know why I cry? You want to hear the answer to my, your questions? Two questions. First question, why am I crying over these wooden stones? You're the greatest philosopher. Don't you have any questions that you haven't answered yet? He says, yeah. Just tell me, give me some of your questions that you still didn't find an answer for. So he rattles off a few questions. Yimiyahu Nabi answers him on every single doubt, explains to him. Wow, Apaltheon couldn't believe it. See, he's such a wise guy that makes my second question even bigger. Why are you crying over spilled milk? Why are you crying over something that happened in the past? Yemiyah Nabi tells him, because you won't understand why. I, I would love to explain to you, but you won't understand. Just like you didn't understand your first question, why am I crying over wooden stones? These wooden stones is what gave me my power. This is what gave me my level of reaching such a high level of prophecy. And wisdom came from this wooden stones. You won't understand why I'm crying with something in the past. That's how the story concludes. The Stolner Rav says, No, what's the answer? Okay, that's the end of what you told Apaltheon. He can't understand. But why couldn't you understand? Why can you tell him? It brings a beautiful idea. We find in the Torah that Batya, when she saw Moshe Rabbeinu in the Nile, he was in the basket. She takes him and she sees him crying. And it says when she heard him crying, she says, he must be a Jewish child. Only Fashim asks a question. Well, how do you know he's a Jewish child? If you can tell me because he's in the Nile. No, that's not true. Because the decree by Paro was that all boys should be thrown in the Nile. Jews and non-Jews. Yehudim and Egyptians should be thrown in the Nile. So how do you know this particular child who happened to be Jewish, you're right. But how do you know that he was a Jewish child? How do you know he's not from the children of the Egyptians? Says the Stalner Rav, because it's not the fact that the kid was crying. There's a Jewish cry. Jewish kids cry. There's a cry that she was able to hear. She was on a level that she was able to understand. There's two types of cries. There's a way a Jew cries and a way a non-Jew cries. A Jew Cries differently from a goy. Goy, even if they cry over something, they cry about something in the past. Oh, a tragedy that happened to them. Jewish crying is not a cry of desperation of things that happened in the past. It's not a cry of despair. It's the opposite. It's a cry for hope. It's a cry of yearning for the future. That's the Jewish cry. Yirmiyahu and Navi was not crying. Of what happened, of course, it's, he's very sad about what happened. He's very sad about what happened to the Jewish people. But his cry was, says the Stolner of, his cry was about the future. What do I mean about the future? The feeling of hope led him to crying. The feeling of hope that didn't happen yet, but that he wants it to happen, that made him so emotional that brought him to crying. That's a Jewish cry. And about that, that's really what's asked of us. To cry about Yerushalayim, I don't know with tears if we're on the level of with tears. But the feelings of crying, 
That's what we have to aspire to. Now the question is, okay, very nice, all makes a lot of, but practically, didn't you say this is a halakha hour and halakha hour is very practical? So how do you do this practically? Give you f- five suggestions and see. First of all, I believe the best way to get into this, to get to the level of at least feeling a little bit of Yerushalayim, of the loss of Yerushalayim, number one is you have to study things that have to do with the building of the Beit HaMikdash. For men, you, you want to get into it. If you don't have your own set schedule, or if you do have and you can incorporate this, study Masechtot that deal with the Beit HaMikdash. Number one, the Masechet Tamid, the daily sacrifices of the Beit HaMikdash. Masechet Midot, it's all Mishnayot, Masechet Midot. These are two of the shortest Masechtot in the whole, in the whole Seder, uh, in, the, in the whole Shas. Sukkah, Masechet Sukkah, if you could do the Gemara, even better. Especially the last parak of Masechet Sukkah, Masechet Yuma, all Seder Kadashim. But these four Masechtot that I mentioned over here, Tamid, Midot, Sukkah, and Yuma, specifically deal with things you could mamash feel a little bit of Yerushalayim. Also Masechet Bikurim, the last parak, or the third parak, you'll feel much more what is Yerushalayim, what we had once upon a time. You study about it, you'll get into it, you'll feel a little bit more. And that will start you off. Other suggestions, this could be for men and women as well, is read up on the days of Yerushalayim of old. There are books that speak about the findings, archaeological findings in Yerushalayim, and history of Yerushalayim of old. All that will give you a sense a little bit of what we had once upon a time. There's a video also of the Beit HaMikdash and its construction. Men and women could watch that. Men, that will help you in Midot. But even ladies go watch about Yerushalayim. It gets you into it. You'll know what we're missing a little bit. Another thing is, say Tikkun Hatzot. Even if you're not into it, Rabbi Alim Ben Yishai says, say it. Say it anyway, even if you don't even know what the words mean. But at least put in effort, especially when it's easy in the wintertime. Say Tikkun Hatzot. Two more ideas. Number four, visit the Kotel area. Visit the area of Beit HaMikdash. Go to the tour and see exactly how they, what they used to do in the times of Beit HaMikdash. You'll get into it more when you visit there. When you go there, make a point to go. Of course, we'll go to the Kotel, but try to study more about the Kotel, what was there, what was behind it, the Beit HaMikdash. You'll feel it more, especially when you're there personally. And finally, if you can't feel it by studying about the Beit HaMikdash, there's another way to feel it. And unfortunately, it's a, not the best way, but you can feel it from... The tragedies, unfortunately, that we all experience. Like we mentioned before, Jewish news, unfortunately, is full of many tragedies. Many people, many families have many tragedies in their own personal family. You know, every family, every place, unfortunately, has something. You want to do something? You really want to do something to feel it? This will probably only work with the older uh listening on it. Older, just at least, you know, if you can remember 20 years ago, take a picture. If you're listening to this and you're listening to the recording of this, you could pause just to be able to feel it. Take an old picture. The older, the better. But not so old. You want a picture of yourself with your family members all in the same picture. You, your siblings, your parents, maybe your uncles, your grandparents. Take an old picture and put it in front of you and look at it. Even better if of a picture you haven't seen in a while. Now, stare at the picture. Look at it for a long time. Don't just look at it, okay, okay, I see. No, no, no. Stare at the picture a few minutes. Look into the eyes of every single person in that picture. Look. If you were in that picture, and you should preferably take a picture that you were in it, you'll start going back in history. Your mind will race back to that time. Do you remember the picture? Remember standing in the picture? Remember everybody, it's probably a picture in the time of a Samha, whether it's at the park, it's in a wedding. Look in the eyes of every single person over there. Remember how they were 20 years ago? Take your time. Look at it slowly. And now, think of what happened from 20 years ago till now in that picture. Look at the people who are not with us anymore. Look at the people and think of the suffering of some of the people in that picture. How many people in that picture perhaps are very sick? How many people maybe unfortunately having problems whether in marriage, 
some are divorced, some are lo'alenu, lost a very close relative, a child, a spouse. How many people are not married yet? How many people are suffering through Parnassah? Yeah? Well, guess what? Unfortunately, rabbis tell us, our personal tragedies are all there as a reminder to the tragedy of the Jewish people. That we don't have a Beit HaMikdash, that is a reminder that we don't have a Beit HaMikdash. The personal sufferings are attached to remind us, by the way, you're not the only one suffering. Hashem is also suffering with us. Why is Hashem suffering? Where is Hashem's gavod? Where are the Jewish people? Where are they holding? We're there. We're on top of the world. And we're going to be there soon. We just have to feel it. When we feel it, things will turn around. Now that's the Musar of it. I went off tangent a lot. I know this halakha hour, and usually we talk about halakhot. But I felt that that was very, very important. Because we come to these halakhot every single year. And we don't realize what an opportunity we have. We don't realize, you know, we're always trying to look for the most lenient opinions. And when you get into halakha, it becomes very, okay, which opinion is matir? Which opinion is, you know, lenient? And unfortunately, okay, we have to give you the halakha. That's what it says. We, we cannot be mahmir for you. But those who feel it on your own, you'll know. If you want to be mahmir, you don't want to be mahmir, that's up to you. At least you'll know what to strive for. It's, it's, the, yes, it is an onion. Yes, it's important. Yes, it's important that we shouldn't put our heads in our kids' heads. Our kids are in camp and they're young, especially the ones under Bar Mitzvah, and they're enjoying the summer. And yes, they're looking forward for the swimming and for the good times they're having, which they can't do, and listening to music, which they can't do. But we have to go out of that. Just like we, we don't expect that we should, you know, at the ages of 20, 30, 40, 50, that we should go back to camp and ride roller courses. That's already, you know, something in the past. We, we grew out of it. We just have to grow out of this thing that I can't wait for the three weeks to be over so I could whatever you want to do. Now, let's get back to Halakha. We have made an outline of what we want to discuss for Zat Hashem. The order of the Halakhot that we're going to discuss are like this. We're going to talk about the laws of mourning during the three weeks. Then we're going to talk about the laws of mourning during the nine days as we get closer from Rosh Hodesh Av until Tisha Av. Then the next category is we're going to speak about the halakhot that pertain to Shavuot Shehalbo. That includes the halakhot of Erev Tisha Av as well as the halakhot of, of Saudat Mavsekit. Fourth category are the laws of mourning for the Shabi app itself. And finally, the laws of mourning for the rest of the year, where yes, we have halachot, which are zikhil hurban, where we mourn Yerushalayim throughout the entire year. As that the same, we hope to be able to cover everything on this list. If you th think about it, you know, most, most people shouldn't know, unfortunately they shouldn't know, but there are laws of avelut. And an avel also goes through the same four stages that we go through every single year on a national level. After a person buries his relative, he is in mourning for seven days. During these seven days of mourning, which is known as the Shiva, the person usually, most some the halakhot are, he sits on the floor, he's not allowed to study Torah, he's not allowed to really wash his body except for certain parts or whatever it may be. And then he goes into, after the Shiva, he goes into a state of 30-day mourning, and that's a Shloshim. There he cannot take haircuts, he cannot shave, he cannot cut his nails. And then he enters, if it's for a father, he enters a mourning period of uh, 12 months where he cannot attend parties, he cannot listen to music, he cannot be at a social gathering. And finally, a person who lost a parent has an obligation throughout his whole lifetime to remember his parents. For example, every, the yard side, every single year. Some people make a suda, some people make a, uh, and, and everybody's makbid that they say kaddish on that time. These are things to commemorate or to remember his parents. It's interesting that in the laws of the three weeks, we find also an identical thing with the four stages, just works backwards. Where the mourner begins with the laws of mourning that are very, very heavy, and it gets lighter and lighter and lighter. By the halakhot of Ben HaMetzarim, it's the opposite. We begin the three weeks with light, and as we keep on getting closer to Shabi'av, the laws of mourning become heavier and heavier. For example, the nine, the, let's begin like this. In the three weeks, 
In the three weeks, we have halachot, or we don't listen to music, identical to throughout the 12 months, but people don't listen to music. Then we have halachot of the nine days, from Rosh Chodesh until Tisha B'Av. There, Maran, according to Shohan Aruch, you cannot make weddings, you cannot listen to music, according to Shohan Aruch, specifically in those nine days. That corresponds to the year, the 12 months. Then we go into the week, Shavuot Shahalbo. You're not allowed to take haircuts, shaving, cutting nails. I know that's more according to Shohan Aruch, but still that's identical to the 30-day mourning period. The Shloshim, where a person also cannot take haircuts, cannot shave. And finally, Tisha B'Av itself, it's like the Shiva. In both cases, we sit on the floor, there's no Torah and there's no washing. Very, very identical to Halachot. And of course, there are also lifetime laws about the remembering Beit HaMikdash. Where for parents, people make a Saudan, they make sure to commemorate them with Kaddish. Likewise, we have Halachot, as hopefully we'll get to, where we have to remember the Beit HaMikdash throughout our entire lifetime. Now, the style that we're going to explain these uh, categories, the five categories of the three weeks, of the halakha of the three weeks, is going to be in the following. Each category, we have, we're going to speak about three parts. Part number one are halakhot which pertain to everybody in that category. Meaning to say, let's say we're speaking about the halakhot of the three weeks themselves, what's forbidden, what's mutar. We're going to speak about something that applies to everybody in, category, in the part number one. Part number two, we're going to speak about things that are mahlokit where different menhagim of different communities, or Ashkenazim and Sfaradim. And then, the third part in each category, we're going to speak about Humrot, things that we don't have an obligation to do, but even though we don't have an obligation to do them, still, these are stringencies that if a person, an individual, feels that he wants to keep them, yeah, it's brought down, and of course, uh, whoever does them, it's Tabu Allah Biracha. So let's begin with the first category, and that is the laws of the three weeks, from Yud Zayin Tammuz until Tisha B'Av. These halakhot pertain from Yud Zayin Tammuz to Tisha B'Av. We'll begin with the first thing, in part number one, which are obligations for everybody. Shohan Aruch brings down, Sarikh Lizahir, Mi Yud Zayin Tammuz at Tisha B'Av, Shilo Lelech Yehidim, Arba Sha'ot at Tisha Sha'ot, Bayom, you have to be careful in these days, in these three weeks, from the fourth hour, which is from the morning, this is usually falls around 10, 10.30, until around 3 o'clock, this is like camp time, right? And that we have to be very careful because it's a special demon over there, and says, Back once upon a time, when they used to discipline children, they used to hit them. I remember my days, but it's not once upon a time. In any case, be careful not to hit them so harshly in this time because it's not a good time. And therefore, from here that Poskim bring now, a person should avoid dangerous activities in, from Yudzayin Tammuz until the Tisha B'Av. A lot of people think that swimming is included in this. Really, there's no issue to go swimming, not for Sfaradim and not for Ashkenazim. I'm talking about in the three weeks you know, before Rosh Chodesh Av, at least. Even Ashkenazim, they're allowed to go swimming. The only thing is, people are careful. What do you want to be careful on? That's up to you. There are things that are brought down in Halakha. For example, don't hit people, don't hit the kids. But you shouldn't hit kids all year because you get arrested. That's not, not proper Hanukh. But in the times of Halakha, you're not allowed to hit. So therefore, we tell you not to hit. What you believe is dangerous, or what the camp believes is dangerous, that can be decided by each individual. But the rule is by everybody is, Avoid dangerous activities, especially from the hours of the fourth hour of the morning until the ninth hour of the morning. Next, Shehiyanu. A person should not make the bracha of Shehiyanu. Maran says, it's tob l'zahem l'omar Shehiyanu. Shohan Aruch writes, a person sh- it's good for a person to be careful not to say the bracha of Shehiyanu ben ha-metzarim, on a bush, on a new fruit, on a new clothing. And that's all the post scheme, they all bring that down. A person should not say Shahiyanu. Why? Because Shahiyanu, the blessing of Shahiyanu is, we bless Hashem that you've made us alive and you brought us la zeman 
You brought us to this time. What do you mean this time? This time is the time of mourning. We don't want this time. We want a time when we could say Shahiyanu that the Beit Hamidash is rebuilt. So therefore, it's good not to say the Bakhab Shahiyanu. Now, the words of Shahanaruk are, it's good. Which means that really, you shouldn't say it. Some, but there are situations where a person could say Shahiyanu. For example, Sfaradim, who says Shahiyanu by Brit Mila or Mazab Pidun Habin, since it's a Mazab Bizmana, this is the time. This is the eighth day when you can do the Brit Mila on the child. This is the 30th day when you're going to do Pidun Habin. So there we don't say uh, Skipa Shahiyanu. Okay, this is the time of it. Also, if you have a pregnant lady that sees a brand new fruit that she's not going to get an opportunity to eat it later on, and she needs it now. She needs to eat it now. So in that case, we tell the lady, okay, you can say shahiyanu. If it's a new fruit that you need to say shahiyanu, say it now. So things that cannot be avoided, and if you don't say shahiyanu now, you're going to lose opportunity. For example, the lady is going to lose opportunity to eat the fruit, and she needs to eat it. Or the fruit is not going to be available afterwards. Or... The mitzvah cannot be done afterwards because this is the time of the mitzvah. Shahiyanu could be said. But things that could be avoided, for example, you have a new fruit that you could save it till after the three weeks and or eat it then or be in the market then or at least save it till Shabbat. So save it till Shabbat or preferably after the three weeks. Also, you could buy a new suit. You could buy, even if you're no hag, if your customer is to make Shahiyanu on a new suit, you could buy it. Just what? Don't make, don't put it on in the three weeks that might obligate you to say Shahiyanu. Or let's say you brought a new, you purchase a new talit. You're allowed to buy a new talit. Again, before Rosh Hashanah, in the three weeks. You're allowed to buy it. Just don't wear it in the three weeks. That might force you to say Shahiyanu. Wait until afterwards. This halakha applies to Sfaradim and Ashkenazim alike. One more halakha will stop on this over here. Something that obligates everybody. And that is dancing. No matter who is it, it's Sfaradim or Ashkenazim. All the Haronim agree, you cannot have dancing in the three weeks. Even when there's no music that's accompanying it. Just regular dancing and a regular song. A person gets engaged, Mazatov, Mazatov, okay, Simitov, Mazatov, and you want to dance for him. That's a sur during the three weeks. Even without music, again, even without music, even with no singing, just a dance, that is not to be done during the three weeks. And finally, of course, music itself, Hazrat Hashem, we'll talk about that. Next week with the rest of the halakhot. Thank you for listening. This class will be aired on again tonight at 10 o'clock on jradio.com. If you want to call into the station, 34, um, excuse me, 718-683-5858. The text is 347-927-8398. Of course, you can always email us at halakhahour at gmail.com. We'll be taking your phone calls now off the air. Any text presentation will answer you. We want to thank jradio, Rav Nisim, Nazari, Iran Jacob, and of course, you for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, have a wonderful week and Shabbat Shalom.